All right, and we're live. Hey, everybody, welcome to the UFC on ESPN Plus 21, Zabit versus Cater dissection. And this event is taking place in Moscow tomorrow. And uh, I think it's at 2 p.m. Eastern time is when the main card kicks off. And there's some pretty good prelims on before that. But um, we're going to get into breaking down the main card. But before we do, let's talk about some news. Um, just some things floating around. Uh, Nate Diaz tweeted out recently that uh, he's walking away from the fight game. I don't know how true that is. His tweet read, fuck a rematch. The shit was over before it started. I'm going out on tour. Peace out, fight game. And I would imagine that a lot of this frustration just stems from the fact that, I mean, you you heard him in the press conference after. He, he, he feels like he's getting fucked over by the UFC because after the Jorge fight, I mean, he's probably not going to get an immediate rematch just because, A, it's going to take a long time for everything on his face to heal up. And with the run... And especially, like, Jorge Masvidal is one of the most complete fighters in the UFC, right? And with the tear that he's been on lately and this resurrection, as he calls it, you got to push that guy forward in the title fights with guys like... I, I think he's going to get the winner of Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington. I know there's been some, like, bickering back and forth with, like, Conor McGregor, but I don't think that fight's going to happen. Um, like I said, I, I don't think that's the first fight that Conor wants to come back to. I said that on my last podcast, so I wouldn't expect that, but... uh I think Nate is probably just frustrated with the UFC like he has been multiple times throughout his career. So, uh, man, until he – but he's in a position again where he can just sit back and, I mean, kind of wait for things to come to him on his terms. So the fact that he said that, it, it could 100% be true. I, I think there's a very real, real possibility that you won't see Nate Diaz fight again in the UFC. He just doesn't have to. And especially because, like – you know if Connor wants to fight on January 18th, like I said, we were talking about all the cut, cuts and stuff that Nate suffered. He's got a lot of scar tissue, man. That's going to take a while to heal up. He's definitely not going to be ready by that fight. I wouldn't imagine, at least. And let's say Connor loses. I mean, what are the options for Nate at that point where he's going to get a big payday? I mean, I still think that fight would do money, but not as big as it would if Connor were to win, you know? I think that adds a little bit more to it. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't necessarily think that Nate Diaz is actually going to be done fighting for the UFC. I think we'll see a couple more fights from him, but it's a possibility that he could be. I, I legitimately don't think he gives a fuck about like hanging around just to hang around. Like he definitely doesn't want to do the UFC any favors. Right. So uh, he's going to wait till if, if something comes to him and the terms are right and they line up with the things that he wants. Yeah. He'll, he'll, he'll come back. But uh, man, he's not in a position where he necessarily needs to. He's probably got more money in his life now than he ever has at any point in his career. So We'll see. All right, what else was in the headlines? Oh, I saw that John Jones tweeted out that he wants Dominic Reyes as opposed to Corey Anderson. And honestly, man, if you're looking at the landscape of that division, that fight makes the most sense. And think about John Jones' last fight against Tiago Santos, right, and some of his most recent fights. He hasn't really been fighting these big names or having these, like, or even if he does fight a decent name, right, like he hasn't been – like with Tiago Santos, that's not the biggest name in MMA. Like he, should, he he had to do something spectacular in order to make a highlight, in order to get some attention drawn to that fight, right? And he didn't. It was kind of a, I don't want to say a lackluster performance. He went in there against a really dangerous guy in Tiago Santos and beat him still. But uh, he won the fight. And he won it in, like I said, he, he just went out and won. That's kind of all he did. He didn't do it. It wasn't the spectacular head kick or like this big knockout or this, crazy submission right he just went out and won so t 
to me, if you consider the fact that Dominic Reyes is coming off a win over Chris Weidman in a headlining bout and he knocked him out, and Chris Weidman's a big name. I mean, you're talking about the guy who beat Anderson Silva, right? When Silva was on that unprecedented title run, that the, the title defense record, right? So it's not like – and I just don't think Anderson is as big of a name, man. But the problem is is that Anderson may have beaten the more legit contenders in that weight class. I think he's beaten Glover Teixeira. Um let me pull his record up. I can't think of who he beat off the top of my head. He obviously just recently knocked out uh, Johnny Walker in his most recent fight, right? And uh, he's also beat – oh, he's beaten, I think, Alir Latifi. Let's see. Yeah, his last four fights, Patrick Cummins, Glover Teixeira, Alir Latifi, Johnny Walker. And um, <sighs> the knockout that Corey Anderson just got over Johnny Walker definitely helps helps his case for a title shot a little, but I just don't think it's enough because Reyes is one of those guys who, like I said, he just went out and finished Chris Weidman in pretty spectacular fashion. So that's the more exciting fight, not only in terms of probably what it's going to generate revenue-wise, but uh, – Man, he's got that undefeated record next to his name, too, and I think that makes a big difference. I think that really plays into the decision-making of John Jones's team. You got to take, like, I think at this point, Jones needs a fight with a little bit more publicity, and I think Reyes is just the guy. He's a little more promotable and stuff. So, And nothing against Johnny Walker or the win over Corey Anderson. I think a lot of people, in that when that fight started, thought that Corey Anderson was going to go out and get that win via wrestling, and he goes out and knocks Johnny Walker out, which is not what a lot of people were expecting, right? But, um... Anderson's style is a, a little more wrestling heavy. And we've seen John Jones fight Daniel Cormier, who's one of the best wrestlers in the history of the sport. So I think people want to see, like, one of the fights I always wanted to see with John Jones was uh, Anthony Rumble Johnson, just because Anthony, he, he possesses that, like, one punch knockout power, that, like, game changing knockout power. And uh, Dominic Reyes obviously proves that he ha- has proven that he has that, and he's a big guy. He's a long guy, which could give John's trouble, like Gustafson. You saw a little bit, right? Um, not saying that uh, he's going to go out and beat John or knock John out. I think it's a tall fucking task to beat John Jones. Like you got to have a lot of weapons. But uh, I think when you look at, you know, I think it mainly boils down to promotability. But uh, in my opinion, Reyes is the guy right now. You know. So I think that fight makes sense, and I think that's a good call on his team's part and his part to, you know, except we'll see what we'll see what actually comes out of it. But Anderson beat Johnny Walker, who's walked, ranked 11 last. And like I said, you got a guy coming off a knockout win over Chris Weidman in a headlining bout. So, <sighs> all right, what else? There's a lot of talk about Tyson Fury moving into MMA, right? And I don't necessarily have a problem with this because if you look at – I mean, the wrestling becomes a problem at some point, right? But – I'm okay with it and I'm not okay with it at the same time. Like one of the things with Tyson Fury is that he's at the height of boxing right now and in a heavyweight division that arguably has never been hotter. I mean, you got Deontay Wilder up there, right? Um, Ruiz is rematching Joshua, I think, coming up here pretty soon. So that division is like, I want to figure out what happens up there. And admittedly, I'm not I'm not a huge boxing guy. Like, I don't know the ins and outs of it. And there's so many goddamn belts and organizations. I can't keep track of it all, right? So I don't know who ends up fighting who or how that stuff comes to fruition. But um, just with the state of boxing right now, I would prefer to see Tyson Fury stick in boxing. Not that he can't make it in MMA. Like, I think if you look at uh, like a fight with Francis Ngannou, like if Tyson Fury were to fight him, I mean, Ganu's not exactly a, a wrestling prodigy. 
he's just got crazy knockout power. But the question would be like, if you go in with an expert boxer like Tyson Fury and you're, you know, you're, you're leaning on that knockout power and those ferocious punches, if he knows how to deal with that and Bob and weave and get out of the way and counter, he could, I mean, he could give like a guy like Francis Ngannou a lot of trouble who's at the top of the heavyweight division. So uh, the problem though becomes like, Francis, at least he, he's been ingrained in MMA and he at least has exposure to the wrestling and to the grappling and to the clinch work, right? Like that would be some boxing doesn't have that to the degree that something like Muay Thai or kickbox Muay Thai would, right? So it's a, it's a tough transition if he's got to fight somebody like Stipe or like a Daniel Cormier who can just take him down and hold him down there. Like it's going to be hard for him to develop the skills to get off his back against elite level wrestlers and elite level mixed martial artists at the top of the game. I think there are a couple matchups that he could do well in. I really do. I think there's some guys in the UFC that Tyson Fury could probably beat just because he's so big. And if you can keep guys off of you and keep your space with your hands and stuff, you can do some real work, but all in all, man, I, I, I just prefer, like, I think he's one of the best heavy, maybe the best heavyweight boxer in the world. So I'd like to see him finish business there before he comes over. But if he does, man, there's, 100% chance that I'm going to fucking tune in and watch. It's Tyson goddamn Fury. So if he decides to make the move, I'll I'll, I'll be invested in it. I want to see what happens. But uh, I'd really prefer to see him. He, 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 he makes boxing great. You know what I mean? And that matchup with like Deontay Wilder, like a, I hope a rematch happens with that. You know, it's just you want to see him stick in his lane and clean out the heavyweights if that's what or, – or, or see what develops. You know what I mean? So – We'll see. And next, <laughs> Logan Paul and KSI have a rematch. I think tomorrow night, and it's going to be hosted on DAZN. And uh, I didn't watch the first fight, but I've been watching, like, I've seen clips of, like, granted, KSI was throwing the same combo over and over again, but I think I'm not positive. I'm not, like, it, I don't keep up with, like, YouTube culture, like, internet culture enough to know, like, exactly what the fuck's going on like why they have beef i don't know any of that but i did see a video of ksi hitting pads and his pad work is legit like i said he was throwing the same combo over and over and over again right but i he's got fast hands man and it's it's smooth it's legit and uh, logan paul said that if he ends up winning the fight he's gonna ask dana white for a ufc shot like a shot to fight in the ufc and when I first read that, I was like, this is fucking crazy. Like, it makes no fucking sense. He's going to get his ass beat. But then I found out that, first off, let me say this. It looks like both of these, both of these guys are legitimately training. Not only that, though, they are massive superstars, especially, like I said, in the world of the internet. Like, they're, they're huge there. And they're polarizing figures, like especially Logan Paul, his brother, on Disney, blah, 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 all that shit, right? Look at me saying I don't know anything, and I know some of it, right? But I... Uh, the thing, like, I looked it up, and Logan Paul, I've, and I've watched some of his clips, he has legit wrestling skills. He placed, like, fifth place in states in Ohio when he was in high school, which is, I mean, at that level, you're probably going to be able to go D1. Like, I, I don't know what, Pat, I don't know what he did if he went to college or anything or wrestled at college at all, but, like, it, Ohio is a very good state for wrestling. So to place fifth in states, like, you know what you're doing. And I'm not saying that he's going to go in and make this immediate impact in the UFC, or get this crazy win, but I'll tell you what, he has a better argument to fight in the UFC than CM Punk does. And CM Punk got two UFC fights. You know what I mean? And he looked terrible in both of them. When he's hitting pads, he looks like he has no idea what he's doing. He has like no understanding of the groundwork. So, I mean, if you're going to let a superstar like that in based off of his WWE resume and the following there, 
if Logan Paul goes out and puts on a performance and looks decent throwing his hands around, I, it, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he gets to fight in UFC or like a Bell- or an organization like Bellator. I mean, he's got legit wrestling experience and like one of my one of the so when you when you get like when you first start doing jujitsu, right? If you go up against a wrestler, you are going to get fucking smashed. Like if you don't know anything, and then there there's like a point of diminishing returns, right? Like I was doing it for a few years, and then I I went against a wrestler who hadn't done jujitsu, and I was able to like you know kind of ball them up and put them because they're not you're fighting off your back, and that's not the point of wrestling. They're not used to that. But then if you roll so, but then if you've got someone who actually practices jujitsu and has that wrestling background in their pocket, like they can pull that out. The pressure that they're able to put on people on top is legit, man. Like I. I don't know who his opponent would be in an MMA fight, but I'm telling you, he's got a better chance at winning it than CM Punk ever did. So don't be surprised if something actually materializes out of this. And just the draw that you would get to that card because of his name would be, I mean, massive, massive. It would be an incredible like show. I'm, I'm sure you would get a ton of viewers just to watch Logan Paul fight. So we'll see what develops there. I might actually tune in and watch this. I just want to see what he looks like. I want to see how well he throws his hands around and stuff. And like I said, if so, when he's got that wrestling background, he wants to make a transition to MMA. We live in the day of the internet, man. Don't be surprised if shit like that happens. But uh, let's move on to breaking these card, breaking these fights down on the main card. And uh, your first fight is going to be a light heavyweight bout between Klitson Abreu and Shamil Gamzatov. Now, take remember this fight is taking place in Moscow. So there are there are Russians in every single one of the fights on the main card. So it'll be evident by which ones they are by how bad I fuck their names up. Like if you notice me fucking their names up, it's most likely a Russian name, right? But uh, Klitson Abreu is coming off a unanimous decision win over Sam Alvey. Um, he, he utilizes that push kick really well. He did it in the Sam Alvey fight. Um, but he did. There were moments where like his specialty is grappling, right? Like I think he has ten submission wins on his record, and uh, I'm pretty sure he's a black belt. But he would get into some – and Sam Alvey's a vet, man. I mean, he's a true veteran of the sport, and he's a tough guy. Like, he's not he's not a gimme fight by any means. But um, he did get certain positions reversed. Um, he'll end up on the bottom sometimes. So, like, you, a lot of the times you see this, though, like, sometimes that jujitsu doesn't all carry over, especially at the larger weight classes when you got big guys who were able to manipulate you and, like, dig underhooks and, you know, they're just bigger and stronger. It's hard to implement sometimes. So uh, – Keep that in mind. Keep in mind that although he's very credentialed on the ground and has a lot of submission wins, Alvy was able to gain position on him sometimes. And uh, when he fought Magomed Ankalaev in the fight before that, he was controlled on the ground a lot. You know, I mean, like it, there wasn't really any moments where Klitson had a glaring advantage over uh, Magomed Ankalaev. So keep keep that in mind as well, right? I've only got really two fights that I was able to watch on Klitson Abreu. Some of these early ones are going to be tough to break down just because I don't have data. Like, so hard to find so many of these fights. But um, Shamil, Ga- Shamil Gamzatov, uh, his most recent win was in the PFL over Rex Harris, but that was in 2018. So he's coming off over a year layoff now. And, I mean, he's a guy who I couldn't find any fights for, but I could find highlights. And, his hands look okay, right? He throws some combos together well, but he has also, I, I got to look up how many knockouts this guy has. I just had it pulled up. Give me one second. Five knockouts, five submissions, three decisions. And I read an article somewhere when I was trying to like figure stuff out about this guy that said that they were giving him like a C rating. It could probably be an easy fight for Clitson Abreu. But man, after seeing that with Sam Alvey, right? I disagree because one of the things about Shamil Gamzatov is he, um, he, 
A, he's undefeated, right? So I, I think he had like a close fight with Rodney Wallace. It was a split decision, but he's managed to pull it off in all of his fights so far. And he was born in Dagestan, right? Anytime you're born in Dagestan, I give you a little bit of a, you know, you're a tough motherfucker. I'll give you that every time. But also this guy has competed in like, in one, in several grappling competitions, including like Abu Dhabi, right? He's got experience with combat Sambo. So I think that Clidson Abreu is going to have a tough time in controlling or gaining an advantageous position of Shamil on the ground. Just because, like I said, if you consider the fact that Shamil is a champion and actually has legit grappling experience and, you know, combat Samba is one of the most effective, effective forms of fighting. Like look at Habib. I mean, right. The, the way he implements it. And, uh, I'm taking Shamil in this fight. Like I said, I don't have a lot of film to watch on this one. I couldn't find a lot. And all I had were the two fights from Clidson. Um, you might see a slight advantage uh, from Abreu on the feet, actually. But I just think Gamzatov's going to be able to put the pressure on and put this fight where he wants to. And I just don't think that Abreu's jiu-jitsu is going to be enough to like submit Shamil and get him out of there. So I'm taking Shamil in this fight. Like I said, this is a guess. Um, if I had, I, I'd feel more confident in the pick if I had more like time to watch the fights or anything, but I didn't. So I couldn't find a whole lot. So this is what you got. Unfortunately, I'm taking Shamil. I'm going to go decision just be, like I said, man, I don't fucking know, but uh, let's move on to the next fight, which I believe is taking place in the welterweight division. And it's between Ramazan Amiv, who is 18 and three and Anthony Rocco Martin, who is 16 and five. And Martin's coming off of that it was a majority decision to Damian Maya and he got into positions in that fight where he was in trouble, but he would also shake Maya off and land some big shots. And uh, in the third round, he hurt Damian Maya pretty badly. So you got to almost, I mean, Damian Maya is such an expert that if you ever end up in his world, you almost have to take it like, yes, it's a loss on his record, but you also have to take it as like a moral victory that you were able to survive when he put you in dangerous situations and then shake him off and hurt him, you know, put him in some bad spots and a guy who, you got to feel confident if you did that to a guy who competed against the title at different points in his career, most recently against Tyron Woodley, right? And then you saw him submit Ben Askren. Like, got to feel good about this stuff. And also, uh, Rocco Martin has a win over Sergio Marias, who in 2008 actually defeated Crone Gracie at the, uh, two, at the World Championships, right? So another legit grappler. And um, taken down in that fight, but always worked his way back to the feet attacking the low leg kicks a lot just controlling the pace of the fight man uh Rocco Martin's a very impressive martial artist and um one of my favorite fights to watch was his right before he fought Sergio Marias back in December of 2018 he fought Jake Matthews and caught him in a third he caught him in an anaconda choke in the third round and you know one of one of my critiques about him though is that he doesn't throw a lot of combinations like three and four piece combinations he throws a lot of like single shots, a lot of single leg kicks and doesn't, I think that you would really see Rocco Martin make a lot of strides in his game if he would string combinations together and he'll do it once in a while. And when he does, he almost always connects. Like there's one that I remember where he landed a nice body kick after following up. He followed it. He followed the one, two up with a body kick and it connected, man. And it looked good. And it's like, if you saw him implement that more regularly, I think he'd find a lot more success, but he fights out of a pretty wide stance. Um, which I mean, for a guy like Amiv, who is a little bit, and he Rocco is going to be a little bit lighter on his feet than Amiv, right? A little more bouncing back and forth. Whereas Amiv's going to be kind of like he's 
he's going to be heavy on his feet, marching forward and trying to, you know, pin him up against the cage and put this fight where he wants it. I think at range, Martin's going to have a, an advantage. But I mean, like if you look at him, Eve, he he'll hump for the takedown, right? Uh, he's on a seven fight winning streak right now. Most recently over Stefan Sekulich. And uh, he almost finished that fight in, I think, the first round. And uh, Sekulich was kind of saved by the bell. And, you know, he, he, one of the things that I picked up on when I was watching him fight is when he is getting taken down or when he is pressured or when he is in, like, a dangerous position, he's a, he's a big fan of the Kimura grip or the key lock, right, to get out of certain positions, which I love because I come from well, – I, I trained at Revolution for, like, two years, Revolution Jiu-Jitsu in uh, Richmond, Virginia. And they're very big on the Kimura there. I mean, I was caught in it all the fucking time. And eventually you learn like how to, you know, either learn or just keep getting Kimura. But one of the things that I really liked about that is that it wasn't always just an attack for a submission. It was an attack to, it, I mean, that's a strong grip and you can use it as an anchor to get to a lot of different positions. And he does that really well. He's not just because he puts, he grabs the Kimura doesn't mean he's hunting for the submission. He's, he's using it to gain an advantageous position. Like I said, kind of use that grip as an anchor to get to where he needs to be. It's good at shutting people down. And uh, a lot of people don't know what to do except grab their leg to defend when you do it. So it gives you – they're worried about defending the Kimura, and it gives you opportunities to advance your position or get out of a dangerous position, right? I'm a big fan of the Kimura grip. I love it. But um, anyway, before the fight with Sekulich – and he, he's exemplified that Kimura grip in a lot of his fights that I've seen. Uh, he beat Alberto Mina before that. And uh, he, one of the things that I like about Amiv and one of the things that might be important when you look at this fight is the fact that when Amiv pushes forward, he will throw three or four punch combinations. So if he's pressuring forward into Martin and Martin's only throwing one punch at a time, but he's following up and pressuring with combos, you might see him land. Um, Amiv is also a guy who has a win over Sam Alvey, which is weird, right? Because I, we're talking about a welterweight fight here. And uh, I think that was his UFC debut was against Sam Alvey. And uh, (laughs) that's a hard fight to look at and take anything away from, though, right? Because Sam Alvey, that fight took place at middleweight. This fight is taking place at 170. Amiv was clearly way smaller than Alvey. But Alvey missed weight for that fight and ended up moving up to 205 in the very next fight. And uh, I think that Alvi was very depleted in that fight. He just didn't look like like Sam Alvi always walks backwards and looks for the counter and is he's not exactly the guy who's marching you forward throwing a ton of volume, right? But he looked flat foot in that fight and just looked like he didn't really want to be there. So uh hard to take anything away from that fight. But like I said, this guy again, man, from Dagestan, right? Seven submission wins, three by knockout. This is a good fight. I'm taking Martin just because I expect Martin to be able to control the range a little bit better. But Martin is going to get into trouble if he lets himself, A, get pushed up against the cage, or if he is only throwing one or two punch combinations and getting caught in the pocket and Amiv's following up with three, four, five punch combinations. I think you'll see Martin get – and that, that'll start to like set up the takedown too. So, I mean, like I said, Martin is legit on the ground. He's, he's very good everywhere. That's why I'm taking him in this fight. And I like, I like his odds of controlling the range. But I would like to see him throw a few more combos. I think you're going to have to see him mix things up, too. He can't just be going to the head and the body. He's got to be throwing in leg kicks, you know. Changing levels, man. Got to do it. But I'm taking Martin in this fight. Not really sure by the method. Um, I think these are two tough motherfuckers. I think you're going to see it go to a decision. All right. The next fight is between Kadis Ibrahimov and Ed Herman. And Ed Herman is a true veteran of the sport, man. 24, 14, and 1. Most recently knocked out Patrick Cummins. 
lost a split decision to John Volante before that. And they got into a real slugfest and he just kind of, he was upset about the decision when the fight ended. But man, when shit like that happens, when you get into a fight like that, and you know, if it goes to the judges, it can swing either way. I would have to go back and really judge that fight. Like I would have to watch that fight and try to, try to watch it and be a judge in order to really get a determination of who I thought won. I, I, when I watch that, I almost enjoy it too much as a fan to really be caring about who's winning, right? You're just watching a slugfest. But um, before that, he lost to CB Dalloway, and that, that fight to me just came down to some grappling transitions, right? Like Dalloway was just a little bit ahead, a little bit more, a little bit more polished in the grappling department. So <sighs> this is tough because, again, this Cotis Ibra... I'm going to call him Ibrahimov. I'm because I probably I'm probably fucking his whole name up, but I'd rather fuck one part of one part of his name up than both. So Ibrahimov is a guy who gets a get he gets a fight with Da Un Jung, right? This is back in August of this year, and he comes out throwing bombs, like he I mean he's going for the fucking finish right away, and he was landing some nice shots shot that shots that might have knocked a normal man out, but Da Un Jung just walked through it right kept the pace and he kept a steady consistent pace throughout the entire fight and ibrahimov was just i mean throwing everything he had into it all the time and it's i was thinking about this and i was watching the fight it's weird how when you lean on your power early in a fight and kind of drain yourself of energy power is a, almost the only thing that you have left to finish a fight because instead of like focusing on settling down using solid technique and pacing yourself. Now you got to wing shots to finish it because you have no energy left. And it's just like the cycle where you keep depleting yourself and you keep winging shots and you just keep getting more and more tired. And I think that's what you saw happen to Ibrahimov in this fight. Cause he got guillotined in the third round, you know, and it, it was a fight that if it goes to the judges, he might've won. I don't know, maybe a draw. He might've won. I don't know, but he got caught in a guillotine and it ended right. So to me, that being his first fight in the UFC, that was that looked like octagon jitters to me, right? Like just going out and I don't even know if I want to call it jitters, but j- yeah, kind of jitters. Like going out and trying to like you're trying to put the fight away right now. And in the UFC, man, that might work. And this guy has like a lot of finishes, right? Um, two knockouts, three submissions, and his only loss, like I said, was his UFC debut. So he might be used to bullying people like that around on like a lower level. But when you get to the UFC, everyone is legit, man. And you got to pace yourself and be smart about what you're doing. And the only thing I like what I see out of Ibrahimov though, man, that's, he, he's got a lot of heart. He's got some great finishes on his record, right? Like he's obviously a prospect, but the thing that scares me is that Ed Herman is a black belt and he is a veteran. He's 24, 14 and one. I mean, you're talking about like 30, what is that? 39 fights right there. That's a lot of pro fights to have, man, versus a guy who only has nine on his resume. So I think that if, again, and I think you'll see Ibrahimov pace himself a little bit, a little bit more, but for me, Herman has to drag this thing into deep water and, uh, you know, put he, he Herman has some legit submission attempts and stuff, man. He's, I mean, you're talking about a guy who, like I said, he's been around the fight game for forever. There's not a whole lot of positions that he hasn't been putting in his career. So if this fight starts getting a little bit ugly and into some deeper water, I'm going to give it to Herman. But I, uh, I don't know. It's going to be one of those things where like you saw such a strong performance out of Ibrahimov in the first round of that UFC fight, his UFC debut, that what if he can just tone it down and kind of pace himself and be selective about his shots and be smart. I think you're I think you're, it, that's going to be a point of emphasis for him in this fight. 
And um, if he follows that game plan, it's kind of hard to tell what we're going to see. You know, he might go out and look fucking brilliant, but um, just based off experience and what I have to look at, I'm, I'm taking Herman. Just, oh man, it's like a, it's like youth versus, you know, youth versus experience. And, and I'm almost always a fan of experience. And a lot of the times I'm wrong. Like sometimes you do get these surgeon guys who come up and just put an ass beating on some of these guys who, who are very, you know, tenured, but. I don't know. I just got a feeling Herman's going to pull it off, but I'm excited to see what we're going to get out of Ibrahimov and what his development looks like since his last fight. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. All right. And the next, this is a really good fight. I'm excited for this. I think this is a middleweight bout between No, I think I got the fucking, I think I got this written down wrong. I think this is going to be a lightweight fight, right? Zaleem Imadayev versus Danny Roberts. And, uh, Zaleem Imadayev, uh, is a guy who, if you go and watch his highlight reel, whoo, he's a scary motherfucker. He has some, his footwork is really nice. He's got some crazy strikes. He's really smooth on his feet, a lot of spinning attacks, and he's knocked some guys out with some like spinning back fist. You know, he's, he's good. He's got like a, I watched one of his fights, uh, over an FMG and, uh, Fight Nights Global. And he knocked the guy out in like 10 seconds. He pressured him up against the cage. Like the guy came at him and pressured him hard. And he just found the opening and boom, dropped him. Fights over. And uh, that was against Yuri Izatov, I think. No, that was against Ivan Gluhawk. Yuri Izatov was the spinning back one, the spinning back fist one that I watched. It was a knockout. But um, anyway, he debuted for the UFC back in April for the first time. Obviously debut, right? Anyway, he fought Max Griffin and he lost a majority decision. And one of the things that I saw was in the first round, Griffin was really able to impose his will in the grappling department. Then you kind of saw it die out. And uh, the advantage clearly went to Imadayev on the feet. But some things that uh, Griffin found success with was just coming straight down the pipe with punches. Like he's kind of throwing some wild stuff and he's good at landing it and he sets it up well and everything like that. But it, it, it was a little bit predictable in this fight. And I think that probably comes from a little bit of the frustration from the first round. And Griffin fought a good fight, man, pretty grappling heavy. And you got to see, though, that Imadayev is not a slouch on the ground at all. He can hang down there, you know, and he knows what he's doing. He just prefers to keep it on the feet. But uh, I think that that Max Griffin fight was, uh, it showed a couple, a, a few holes, right? First, you can control him on the ground. Like, I think Griffin burned himself out from trying so hard to keep the fight in that category, though, which says something about Imadayev's resiliency. But like I said, Griffin coming down the pipe with those like straight punches, those paid some dividends. And Danny Roberts has a professional background in uh, boxing. I think he's like three and one. And I know that's not anything to like get overly excited about, but he understands the fundamentals of boxing. And that might be a good counter to some of the wild stuff that you're going to see from Zaleem. So Danny Roberts, though, went out there and fought a guy who has a pretty wild striking style, Michelle Perea, in his last fight, and he got knocked out. Um, and Perea is just like, when you watch him, he, he's just like bouncing off. The, he's a scary motherfucker to just look at, right? He just looks like a savage, like this big athletic motherfucking, ooh, I don't know. I don't want to bump into that guy in anywhere, really. But uh, so, we saw, so you see him kind of struggle with explosiveness, right? And uh, I think that Zaleem's technique is going to be a little bit more refined than M Michelle's. And uh I think it's going to give Danny Roberts some trouble. One thing to like look at though is the fact that in Danny Roberts's fight before that he fought Claudio Silva, and Claudio Silva is a legit jiu-jitsu black belt, and uh, 
he got arm barred, but it was a weird call because like he yelled out in pain. And if you look at the angle on the camera, it does look like his arm does something funky. And I think the ref thought that he broke his arm and yelled out in pain because of it. But really the position that he ended up landing in was favorable for him to escape the arm bar. And for a lot of that round, man, I mean, he was getting into some good grappling transitions with Claudio Silva, you know, he was able to reverse some bad positions. Um, it just ended with a tough call. And uh, I'm not saying that – I don't know if he would have gone on to won that fight. He, I mean, he looked good though, man. And Danny Roberts, like I said, he's a very talented striker. He's good on the ground. He got to show that against like a legit black belt. So I would say that the path to success for Danny Roberts would be pressuring forward, putting the pressure on him, keeping his back against the cage, and then mixing in the takedowns and making sure your cardio is up to snuff. If you're having trouble controlling the fight and keeping this guy where you want to take him, it's going to be a long night for you because then he's going to be able to implement his game plan and push you back and, you know, control the footwork battle. But I think if Danny Roberts sticks to some fundamentals, pushes forward, and like I said, makes it, you, you got to keep this guy guessing. If you, if you just get into a pure striking battle with this guy, I think you're going to have a long fucking night. He's good, man. He's very good. And I know you see a lot of that fancy stuff, but that's probably because he finds openings. It's not like he doesn't know how to just have a regular fucking fist fight, right? So, Mixing and takedowns is going to be important. I'm taking Zaleem in this fight, though. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a tough task for Danny Roberts to drag this guy to the ground. I think he's going to be surprised at how strong he is in the clinch. And I think when they get, I think that's going to end up work. Like we talked about, what Danny Roberts has to do. I think it's going to end up working in Zaleem's favor, though, because I, it, if Roberts isn't able to get that fight to the ground or successfully land some takedowns, Zaleem's going to be able to start to transition the fight into his world. And I think you'll start to see him take over there. Maybe you're in a knockout. Um, I also just don't like the fact that I like the fact that Salim is coming off of his UFC debut and it was a tough fight against a tough guy in Max Griffin. And I don't like the fact that Danny Roberts is coming out off a knockout loss against a guy. And now he's going to be fighting a guy who his expertise isn't striking. That makes me a little nervous. Not that uh, there are paths to victory for Danny Roberts in this fight. This is a good fucking fight. And also we talk about experience. This is Salim's ninth professional fight. This is going to be Danny Roberts' 22nd. This will be Zaleem's 10th, pardon me. So things to keep in mind, man. And I think, uh, you know, it's also going to be – footwork is going to be very important because Danny Roberts is a southpaw. And Zaleem is going to be fighting orthodox. So whoever's winning that lead foot position, whoever's getting outside, right, and doing the uh, doing better work setting stuff up with their feet is probably going to come out victorious in this one. Like I like I said, it's gonna it's a tall task for Danny Roberts, but I do think that are paths to victory. All right, the co-headliner. Um, I, for whatever Greg Hardy has been through and whatever he's done throughout his career, right? You got to give him credit for stepping up to fight the number seven ranked guy in the world. I mean, Alexander Volkov is thirty and seven, thirty-seven professional fights versus Greg Hardy's seven. He's got thirty more fights than him, and He's a former Bellator champion and a former M1 champion. He has – he put Derek Lewis in trouble. Granted, he lost to him with that like – he got knocked out in the last 10 seconds of the third round. I think that was on the McGregor and Habib card. But uh, knocked out Fabricio Verdum in the fourth. Knocked out Stefan Struve in the third. This guy has a long resume. And he's fighting a guy in Greg Hardy who really has only fought in emerging talent like from the Contender Series. <sighs> Hardy's a big boy, and he looked much improved when he fought Ben Sassoli recently. I liked his footwork. I liked the way he was snapping leg kicks in there. 
But if I got to pick someone, I just got to be honest, man. Alexander Volkov is a tall tat. If, if Greg Hardy goes out and beats Alexander Volkov, I will be extremely surprised and impressed. I mean, but I just think that Volkov is so long. I don't think that Hardy has dealt with anyone that is anywhere near the talent level that has any of the weapons in his arsenal that Alexander Volkov has. He's going to be able, he's going to be dealing with kicks. He's going to be dealing with like a lot of things, man. You're talking about a guy who also survived on the bottom against Fabricio Verdum in grappling situations. Like Volkov is a true veteran of the sport and one of the before knocked out by Derek Lewis on a real title run in the heavyweight division. So I just think that with his length, and the weapons and just every I think it's going to be overwhelming for Hardy. I think you're going to see him I think you're going to see him look confused and probably get finished in this fight. <sighs> Paths to victory for Hardy are difficult because he's so green, right? Like you saw too like Hardy's not comfortable throwing combinations necessarily. Like he he's not going to go out and throw this crisp clean four or five punch combination and then follow it up. But you know what I mean? It's not it's not all flowing together yet like that. And for Volkov this shit is muscle memory. He's doing this all the goddamn time. He's been doing this for years. So I think that you're really going to see that shine through. I think you're going to see a gap in elite level competition and Greg Hardy level competition. Like that UFC contender suit. Not that Greg Hardy can't get better or that he can't be a threat at some point. This is just a massive leap. And it's hard for me to pick Hardy. Like I said, if he does, he's also a heavyweight though. And you got to remember that heavyweights have legit knockout power and can end the fight at any time. So if he lands, I mean... Fuck, who knows, right? But uh, I also think that you started to see Hardy fade a little bit towards the end of the second round. Obviously, the inhaler incident, right? He took a hit of the inhaler. I think he has like asthma or something. So going against a guy who has gone five rounds multiple times in his career, like went into the fourth with Fabrizio Verdum, this is tough. This is tough to pick Hardy in this fight. I don't think he's going to come out on top in this one. I think he's going to get finished for the first time in his career. But uh. Let's move on to the main event, which is what, I mean, th this is a great fucking fight. You've got number five ranks to beat Magomed Sharipov, who's 17 and one fighting number 11, Calvin Cater. And uh, this is a featherweight clash between two of the most promising prospects in the UFC, 100%. And uh, Zabit is coming off that unanimous decision win over Jeremy Stevens. And uh, I like that fight because you got to see how Zabit dealt with a true veteran of the sport and Jeremy Stevens, like his last win before that, Brandon Davis. Still a little green, promising guy, right? But green. Caught him in that Suluev stretch. Am I pronouncing that right? Probably fucking not. But, you know, caught, he was on his back, climbed over, and stretched that hamstring out, man. There's a ton of pressure on that. And uh, a, a beautiful performance from him. But Jeremy Stevens is the most impressive one of his career just because Jeremy's one of those guys who has legit knockout power, and he pressures forward all the time. So when you see Zabit deal with that, and just he's not afraid to stand in the pocket with guys. You saw that in the Bokniak fight. But again, you saw, what you saw in the Bokniak fight was a one-dimensional fighter who was mainly throwing his hands, and Zabit has a full arsenal. So when you got Stevens, don't get me wrong, he relies on his power, but he's a little bit more of a complete fighter than Bokniak. So that to me was – but here, here's one thing that I've noticed about Zabit. My, one of my only critiques about him, he starts to fade a little bit towards like especially in the third round he gets a little tired and there were several points in the jeremy stevens fight where you caught him looking up at the clock and at the end of the kyle botchniak fight he was looking a little exhausted man so if this fight goes into the fourth and fifth rounds um i think calvin cater's gone to the fifth round one time in his career uh that, that's going to be something interesting to pay attention to how much emphasis do they have on cardio and the because th there's a very good possibility this fight goes all five rounds 
Um, these are two very good guys and two guys who aren't just good at implementing offense, but are good at defending themselves. And Zabit, I mean, you're talking about a lot of experience between these two guys too. Calvin Cater started fighting in 2003 or no, his professional debut was in 2007. So he made his pro debut 12 years ago, right? Meanwhile, Zabit uh, made his professional debut in MMA five years later, but he spent like 10 years living in a boarding school training uh, Wushu, which is like what I, I, I'm not positive, but I, I think it's like a form of Kung Fu. Somebody could probably educate me on that a little bit more. If you guys know, drop something in the comments about like what it is and what the differences between that and Kung Fu are. But um, my point is that both of these guys have a lifetime of martial arts experience, right? They're, they're both, I mean, students of the game. They're both very technical. And Calvin Cater, I mean, ranked number 11 coming off that knockout win over Ricardo Lamas, beat Chris Fishgold before that in the first round, two first-round KOs in a row. Um, one thing that I want to point out, though, and this is the main reason that I'm going to take Zabit in this fight. When Calvin Cater fought Hanato Moicano, first off, Calvin, is he, he's primary, he, he fights out of a boxing stance a lot. And not that he can't throw kicks and not that he doesn't mix things up, but he's really good with his hands. And I think you saw when he fought Moicano, a guy who switches stances a lot and stuff and is able to get into better positions. He struggled with that a little bit. And Zabit switches stances very fluidly. And you know what? So I would expect Zabit might have a little bit of – and uh, Zabit's also very good on the ground. You know, he's got a very large um, array of submissions that he can pull out, and he's good at controlling – he's good at staying on top of you, applying pressure, and controlling the position. So, oh man, this is a great fight and I love Calvin Cater, but I just think that Zabit is going to be a little bit too much for him, a little bit too much going on, a little bit too much in the footwork department, a little bit too much. I don't, I think it's going to be a really good fight. I think this is probably your fight of the night, especially if it goes all five rounds. Both guys like to get after it, but um, like I said earlier, I want to come back to this. The one thing that I'm looking for is what if this fight goes into the like I said, I think there's a good possibility that this fight just goes into deep water because both guys have so much experience not only fighting but defending themselves. Like that's important. That's half of fighting, being def you know what I mean? So if this fight goes in to deep water, is Calvin Cater maybe going to be able to turn the tide and put some pressure on him and start doing a little bit of what Kyle Botchniak did except for the next two rounds? If so, you might see Calvin Cater get a fourth or fifth round finish from this. I would say if I had to take a guess, right? And this is all guesswork. Um, don't take anything I'm fucking saying too seriously. I don't even know what the fuck I'm talking about, right? But I would say that if the finish is going to come for Zabit, it's going to come between rounds one and three. And if it comes for Cater, it's going to be between rounds four and five, just based off what I've seen. Obviously, Zabit can make improvements in the conditioning department. Cater can make – he's probably – it's not like he's – just going to go in and fight Zabit like he's obviously preparing for him, right? So it's going to be interesting, but I would imagine that Zabit will have the advantage early on. And as the fight starts to wear into deep water, Calvin Cater might start to take over. But I'm taking Zabit in this fight. I think he'll get it done probably in the third round. And uh, man, I don't, I've gone back and forth about this fight a lot just because, like I said, the potential for it to go the whole way is very good. There's a lot of different ways this fight could go because you're talking about two guys with an extremely, you know, an extremely deep skill set. So I'm excited for this one, man, but I'm taking Zabit third round finish. I don't really know how he can get it done in so many ways. It almost seems foolish to try to predict exactly how he's going to pull it off. Starts going past the third round, look for Calvin Cater to start taking over and maybe finish things in the fourth or fifth. But, um,
I think that's all I got for today, guys. So thank you for tuning in. Uh, give us a follow on Instagram. We're at MMA.analysis. Uh, hit the subscription button if you liked it. Subscribe to the channel. Um, give us a thumbs up or a thumbs down. You know, you're adults. You can make your own fucking decisions about whether you liked it or not. Leave comments. Let me guys let me know what you guys think about the fights coming up tomorrow night. Um, and, oh, there's also a Bellator fight going on tonight. I think John Salter's on it too. So I'll probably tune into that and watch that. But, um, yeah, like I said, leave a comment, leave a like, subscribe, blah, 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 all that good shit. Thank you for tuning in and bye-bye.